This week's episode of Buffy Virgin is brought to you by DennisComics.com. Dennis is a cartoonist who appears on almost every episode of Buffy Virgin. He raves about monsters and recommends great horror movies that no one else has ever heard of. His two short comics in the Halloween issue Double Think that came out last year. Dennis's original graphic novel, Amelia, which is really the thing I should mention first. It's very Lovecraft meets David Cronenberg, and I know other people have said that, but it's a wonderful, dark, and interesting read. Pinup Art by Dennis St. John is also featured in issue 5 of Rich Tommaso's She-Wolf, uh, a super interesting read. She-Wolf is beautiful, artsy, and strange. If, when you're listening to Buffy Virgin, if any of Dennis's recommendations uh, for other films and stuff resonate with you at all, then you would absolutely love his comics. Dennis has a really well-developed horror sensibility that comes across in his comics. If you like horror stuff at all, you'd really enjoy his stuff. So get your horror comics fixed at DennisComics.com. That's Dennis with one N, D-E-N-I-S, and comics with an X because it's cool, C-O-M-I-X. In every generation, there is a virgin. He alone will watch the vampires, the demons, and the forces of darkness for the first time at least once a week. I am a Buffy virgin. Well, welcome to another episode of Buffy Virgin. My name is Michael Poli. I'm the virgin. I've only seen up to season two, episode 17 of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That is passion. Passions. Uh, and today on the show, we have Dennis St. John, a horror comic cartoonist and sponsor of the show. Dennis. Pleasure to be here, as always. Well, it's a pleasure you're here. We have Travis. Hi, good afternoon. And John. I'm jacked in. And possibly joining us another guest, but we'll see. He could be on his phone, but there may be a mysterious guest that shows up on the show today. So uh, we want to start... Uh, the show with some errata from the previous episode, things that we missed out on before that. But after that, we'll do summaries. We'll do great lines. Buffy speak. We're noticing trivia, group questions, themes, deep stuff, predictions, kill count, and recommendations like we always do. So uh, let's start with the errata from the last episode. So there were some predictions that were made that we didn't cover. Is that what happened? So, yeah. So uh, you guys did a wonderful episode, um, but uh, normally I sort of... Uh, ride crap on predictions. And since I wasn't there, there were some predictions from prior episodes that we didn't get to talk about. So this is a, in Bewitched, Bother, Bewildered, there's a few things I want to get out of the air. So first of all, this is a little bit controversial, but in season one, episode two, Mike did predict that Joyce will be kidnapped. Now, in Bewitched, Bother, Bewildered, one could make the argument that Joyce was sort of spiritually kidnapped because she... Uh, her will was hijacked. Does anybody feel like they want to count that? I think I know the answer. Nope. Okay, I didn't think so. I'd say no. Okay, okay. I, I disagree too. I don't think she was kidnapped. Okay, all right. More, more appropriately here. Uh, Kristen, who was a guest virgin, and we're counting all of Kristen's uh, predictions for better or for worse, along with Mike. So Mike's score actually sort of goes up or down based on her predictions as well. I need to be uh, careful about these guests then. I should vet them. <laughs> work yeah closely uh she she uh has actually been more done more help than harm to your score so far great great dear and that's going to keep happening because she predicted that buffy will have feelings for xander uh during season one episode six and that is was confirmed and bewitched by the bewildered mike in that same episode predicted that buffy will have feelings for xander as well so he also predicted that but he was more specific he said it will happen only through magic which i think is yes uh, that Pretty solid prediction. Right on. Yeah, right on the money. Absolutely. That's the only way they could get together. That was obvious. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. 
That was I when I saw that when I looked through the public predictions and I saw that I was like, "Damn, Mike, that was so specific. Good job." I so, just I know how TV works, guys. There's just no way. <laughs> those two confirmed uh, predictions brought Mike's overall score from an 89 to a 90. So Mike's gone from like a B plus to an A minus. This is amazing. I couldn't have done it without you guys. Couldn't have done it without you. Thank you. Well, then I need to make more ridiculous and specific predictions um, moving forward. Yes, gutsier. <sighs> okay, gutsier. All right. I have uh, a feeling there's going to be a lot of predictions uh, this episode to deal with. That there are. Yeah. That is that is my prediction. <laughs> <laughs> there's a few. There's uh, there's there's four we have to talk about. Four? Oh man. I didn't mean to be that specific. And this is uh, to get into the episode. This is a heavy episode, guys. Are yes, we emotionally and mentally prepared? Well, luckily we have a Travis summary, so that'll that'll get us there. Yay! Yeah. Oh man, it's a by the book summary, so it'll be quick at least, hopefully. All right, should I do it now? Should I say it? Please. Okay. Passions. Sunnydale and the Scooby gang have forgotten about magic spells and are out in the town dancing the night away like it's 1998, but they're being stalked by the soulless and jealous as the episode opens. We haven't seen them this happy since last Halloween. However, ever since Angela sent her a dozen roses, Buffy's been on edge. It turns out that Roses was actually a great creepy stalker gift because the next gift she gets is a large spine-tingling charcoal drawing of her sleeping. She doesn't want to find out what a deranged soulless vampire gets his ex-girlfriend for their one-month breakup anniversary. She remembers that Angel's targeted Drusilla's family and is worried about what to tell her mom. Giles tells her to just ignore him. Miss Calendar needs to run an errand and wants Willow to cover for her the next day which sounds like an amazing loophole that only a computer science teacher in the 1990s could take advantage of. Willow is thrilled and starts on her session planning. Jenny lets it slip that she loves Giles and wants to make things right with him. He thanks her for the book of spells, but refuses to let his passions cloud his judgment. After the cold-blooded murder of Willow's fish, Buffy still cannot believe that the man she loved is truly gone. Despite the threats and the betrayal, she still loves his memory. Miss Calendar continues to try and re-ensoul Angelus and recreate the curse her people placed on him over 100 years ago. To do that, she needs an Orba Thesla, which turns out to be the easy part. The hard part is using a computer to translate a previously untranslatable and gibberish-encoded Romanian spellbook. After nailing a crucifix or two to her wall, Willow, Buffy, and Cordelia find another creepy stalker sketching, and this time, it's Joyce. They race home and cast a barrier spell just in time to keep out the diabolical Angelus. Unfortunately, they weren't able to shut up his big mouth before he finally tells Buffy's mom that they slept together. Which is creepy, but he didn't tell her it was a moment of perfect happiness, which could have been a bit creepier, I suppose. Jenny's working late at school, trying to redeem herself to the man she loves. However, Angelus has been tipped off by a clairvoyant dog that Drusilla owns called Sunshine to drop in on her. Angelus destroys the the orb, her computer, and the printout that would curse him with the soul again. After brutally chasing her in the night, he arranges Jenny's lifeless figure in Giles' home with champagne and roses. Finding out she loves him and then losing her that very same day drives Giles into a suicidal rage and he attacks Angelus alone in the factory with some napalm. Spike finally has a happy moment seeing Angelus shot with an arrow and beat up by Giles and then Buffy. With the fire in the factory spreading quickly, Buffy is forced to choose to save Giles or to kill Angel, but she wasn't ready to lose another person in her life. And so she saves Giles. The end. Yeah. Great summary. R.I.P. Jenny. Yeah. 
I also figured out the title of this episode. Um, it's either the calendar runs out of no, no, it, no, no, of our podcast episode. It's either the calendar runs out of pages or because, right, because you can have a calendar that runs out of pages and it's over. And that works for two things. One, it's Miss Calendar. And two, like script pages, like she's dead. She doesn't have any, she doesn't have any other script, script pages after this episode. Anyways. Well, that's, that helps how about, how about, um, So I appreciate that tip that she doesn't get revived. Appreciate also, it. Also, if Miss Calendar had a page to help her put her armor on, this would never have been a problem. Yeah. That's also a fact. That's a true fact. Well, uh, let's get into this episode with the uh, weird notes and trivia. That Angel has Jenny's number. Yeah. Sorry. Like that song, Jenny, I got your number. Yeah. Yeah, that's, a, right. that's another let's great Let's do that's the actual one. podcast. Sorry. Cool. Uh, so I'm going to go into the weird noticing trivia that I see in the sheet. I see stuff from John. I see stuff, a couple things from myself, not much. And then I see uh, Travis, but Dennis, I don't see your stuff. So you'll need to interrupt. I'll interrupt. Sorry. I was, I've been trying to get drawing done today. See what I did? I made this. Whoa, that's that beautiful. For the listener at home, Dennis is holding up a badass uh, comic book page with uh, what, what would you call that kind of mm-hmm. monster, Dennis? Um, well, it's uh, a new character I'm working on called Furiosa Frankenstein, who is kind of Furiosa meets the Bride of Frankenstein, and she's being attacked by a giant Leviathan shrimp. That's amazing. And if somebody really likes that kind of thing. a new comic I'm working on. If somebody really likes that kind of thing, Dennis, is there some place they could go to get your comics? No. Oh, okay. That sucks. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they can go to these comic conventions that, he, that Dennis appears at. Just go to all of them and maybe you'll find him there. Yeah, he's at Comic-Con. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't go to Comic-Con. Uh, no, I'll talk about, later, later on, I'll talk about what, what's going on with me. But sorry to interrupt. So, uh, starting with Weird Noticings trivia, John starts us off by noticing the Self-Defense for Kids poster. Yeah, outside at Suttingdale High School, uh, you know, Buffy and Giles are talking in the background. There's this poster for Self-Defense for Kids. It's the second reference to self-defense being taught at Sunnydale High School, which I think is a nice little piece of world building because those kids really need to know that. Yeah, really. To be fair, um, the, te- the teachers need to know that too. Yeah. I, yeah, I actually, uh, it's hard to say who needs it more, teachers or students. <laughs> I don't think it's going to, no amount of self-defense is going to help that much in Sunnydale, right? Like, But can you believe Jonathan is still alive? I mean, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> and Jonathan has a great scene this episode. He did. Wonderful. That almost made the summary, guys. I just want to tell you how close it was for him being in the summary. Uh, can we talk about the the, very, the first Angel's um, narration and seeing the gang and everything? Like, yeah, Angel I, is an amazing creeper. Like. Uh, he is doing shit right in front of them and they're not noticing. That must be like amazing vamp, like to, for a Slayer to not notice somebody being drank right in front of her. And like, I mean, Angel's really got the, the monstrous skills leveled up this episode. This will come back to a point I have later, but yeah, I mean, now you told, you, you, you've seen this episode, why it was such a big deal that he was such a bad vampire in the past, which is kind of, which which is hopefully maybe make the previous episodes more enjoyable. Maybe not. 
Well, so I also had a comment in the in the notes here about Angel's opening monologue. It's very creepy, but I was as we were listening, I was like, is this how every episode of Angel starts? Because if it does, I probably don't want to watch Angel if they start with these monologues. Where <laughs> um, he discusses the theme for the week. Yeah, the theme, which is passion. And it was cool to have the episode title like introduced to us by Angel, uh, who's in this weird... I, it's hard to tell uh, if he's if it's true obsession uh, at this point, I mean, it must be to be like fucking with Buffy to the extent that he is in this episode. Uh, but yeah, in super creep mode, I like just finding it as passionate being passionate. Uh, I don't think he understands what passion is. <laughs> He's using the wrong word. Uh, John, you're pointing out, this is a visual thing. Uh, Willow's sweater. Yeah. Willow has a really good Willow sweater in this one. It says this baby blue and yellow number with a uh, sort of a blue butterfly on it. I think it's uh, a snail. Is it not a snail? I thought it was a snail. I'm pretty Maybe sure it's a, it's a butterfly. butterfly. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, moving on here, uh, I, Xander is a dick. That hasn't changed. Uh, he slut shames uh, anybody. Uh, he slut shames uh, Buffy uh, in this episode really early on. And like, I, you know, you'd think that he would learn something from the episode that happened just before this, uh, where... <laughs> where he became the ultimate hoe and uh, really <laughs> world inverted. Uh, but nope, gonna, gonna slut shame Buffy for the, like angels being a creep. And it's like, well, you should never have let him in your life in the first place. Duh. Yeah, he's so that. incredibly dismissive about this like serial killer harassing her. Like, I mean, I know they've dealt with a lot of threats, but like, this seems like an issue. He shouldn't be really super dismissive of, um, and then, yeah, I, I didn't write anything it. about that because I'm like, I'm almost done commenting on Xander being yeah. a, like, it's so <laughs> pervasive. You know, so I, I would be done except that last episode was all about Xander and he has learned nothing. And it's just like this contrast is just like uh, uh, unignorable. Totally. I think uh, I, I move that um, Bewitched, Bother, Bewilder be renamed the ultimate hoe. I think that's a good good title for that episode. <laughs> ultimate hoe. That, that episode really needs to be shoved back into season one. It does not belong in season two. It feels like a very early kind of episode. Uh, so, John, moving on here, your next observation. Uh, you love the idea that animals are, animals are like snack food for vampires. And I assume you're talking about the little doggy. Yeah, Drusilla has like a puppy. She's gonna she's gonna feed to uh, to Spike because like oh he won't eat. He seems down in the dump, so she's just gonna give him a puppy. And it's like it's it's like she's doing it like you would give like you know somebody dessert to try to cheer them up. And it's just like ah, it's junk food. It's eating dogs. I don't know. Yeah, dog blood. Well, it's it's portable. <laughs> That's such I mean, a great. It's like, it's like crazy scene. Uh, yeah, it's, it's I like it because she like what's she's like like it's making yeah. it's like like it's really a scary doggy come on but but then it, it's actually it's it's really funny because she uses the phrase mummy and she's like she's his mom or she's the sire for a spike she calls so, herself mommy sexually uh, in bewitched yeah. bothered and bewildered yeah. uh, she does that too she just kind of says that but this case she was actually right. <laughs> But uh, yeah, she's super condescending. I don't know if I could deal with that relationship. I know that they're in a fucked up vampire thing, but like when I see that, I'm like, and, oh man, yeah. it's hard to negotiate. And the boundaries are being totally torn apart by Angelus being there and Spike's wheelchair thing. Like they're not, none of them are in a good place. Um, and the wheelchair I, thing is kind of like, that's his, that's a trick that we know Spike's yes. doing in order like to fuck with us and them. Well, mostly them with Spike and with Drusilla. 
And do we know that yet? I don't think we. Yeah, know I don't. Yet. I don't think we actually know that yet. Oh, we haven't. I think we. That. I think I thought we did. No, oh, maybe that, it's, uh, maybe it's in the next episode. Or somebody's something. reading ahead. I'm so not reading really that far ahead. I, I really actually up to episode 17, Mike. I specifically looked that up uh, for a reason today. Right. So that has not happened yet. Uh, I want to. I want to comment that. his wheels. I want to comment that Evil Angel. They they make jokes about this all the time later on in the series but evil angel dresses like crazy much better than regular angel in this episode <laughs> evil angel's wearing like leather pants and shit it is like super crazily dressed and it's he's like, wearing yeah. a velvet shirt oh yeah it's evil right? angel which is yeah. like he's he wears a velvet jacket in the first episode uh yeah I mean, but like, it looks that looked bad uh, the pilot but now he's like full-on <laughs> evil you know yeah he's such a great e- i want to talk about actor. uh when angelus when angel first becomes angelus we talked about his acting and I said it was like, he was way over the top in that first episode. I feel like this episode he's finally playing evil Angelus, like to yeah. the right extent where he's like, yeah. not only do, do, does his behavior finally match the actions in the episode, but he's not like doing a Joker thing. He's like figured out what Angelus is. Well then in that case, Boreanaz needs a round of applause because yeah, I, I, you're right. He's, he's achieved a, an amount of acting that I'm happy with. I'm very happy with Angelus's performance in this episode. Uh, but he's also not the star of the episode, even though he's causing the most damage. Uh, so, John, your next thing you're saying, stating the obvious here, but translation is the hardest problem in computer science, or one of the hardest problems. Where does right. that come from? So, uh, so Jenny but, goes into the... But the she part. has a program called Translator Pro. Uh, <laughs> so she's translating obviously... languages. Oh, sorry, yeah, the Romanian thing. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so she's yeah. There's like a there's like this coded thing, and she can't use the Orb of Thessala. And the guy's like, "Don't buy an Orb of Thessala because you can't use it if you don't translate a thing." And she's like, "No big deal. I'm writing a computer program." And it, uh, computer is this the first. Uh, is this the first appearance of the magic shop? Yes, I believe it is. Yes. All right. The magic shop that's both a fake magic shop and a real magic shop. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. a nice touch. I like that. I like that. <laughs> yeah, that's how. And magic Uncle shops Creepy are. apparently was a regular there. Which makes me wonder if he was um, a Sunnydale resident, which confuses me because I thought like Jenny was in Sunnydale just to watch Angelus. Yeah, and it it made it sound like the guy just showed up. That's a good point. (laughs) That is a good point. I didn't notice that. That's a kind of a hole. Well, I I thought it was just like he dropped by, like, you know, that the guy was in the business and he knew the uncle because the uncle was in the business of of magic and curses. I thought thought, like that's how it, it was meant as. Sure. All right. Well, there we have uh, Travis Bingo. Yep. Oh, right. Where Travis defends a thing that's not defendable. It makes it's a secret. It's a secret magic shop. Of course, there are going to other I, people that who are secret magic shop people. I take. I think you're right, Travis, because uh, yeah. uh, he's a he's he's a he's a, a gypsy. So he travels around. He's going from town to town. He blows into town every so often and buys a thing from uh, the local guy. All right. Like, yeah. Okay, and he's like, yeah, this is a shop I like because it's uh, a real magic shop. He probably needed okay, some fine. stuff. Okay, um, so... Oh, also to- in the magic shop, they make jokes about the love potion. A yeah, funny yeah. reference to last episode. And made fun of New Agers. Like, anyone needs help making fun of New Agers now, I guess. But that was an awesome New Agers joke. Uh, Travis, you, your observation here is, uh, should Xander be dancing with Buffy? He was kind of doing like a weird 90s semi. It wasn't a true slow dance, but it was just, I don't know. He's just so weird. He's just so awkward and sexual towards Buffy all the time. And 
I would just have. And I, also, I Angel's watching that, right? So that's pretty similar to when she was bad, right? Yeah, and she's already had a sexy dance with him, and just, ugh, I don't know. I'm kind of I mean, over looked, Xander right now. This looked I, more like it was a um, platonic sexual dance. I think the the broader question is is should anyone still be friends with Xander? I think yes, that's the wrong fucking question right now. <laughs> no, of course not. Xander is the worst friend. He's the worst an character. To everybody, but He's awful. I guess if you're only a little bit funny, people keep you around. Is what we've learned. It's you don't have to be that funny, but like if you're a little bit funny, people are like yeah, it's Xander. Right. That's he can good say advice. gross sexual stuff all the time because it's a joke. Yeah, he's a comedian. Uh, so then, uh, Travis actually, was- last episode kind of proves it is a joke because he's afraid when it it actually happens, right? Oh yeah, totally. Like this weird persona that he puts on, which I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know what. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I, I've theorized it's a terrible home life, which we'll never get into. But you know, when he actually goes and gets what he wants, he doesn't want it anymore. <laughs> because yeah, you don't want mad. You don't want people who are hypnotized to have sex with you. That's that's not cool. You want them to really want it. You can feel it. You want authentic sexual experience, not hypnosis. And, you know, it's a problem that rich people complain about all the time. I, I totally get it. <laughs> <laughs> the next one here, uh, the shopkeeper, Travis, you're saying the shopkeeper, the magic shop should totally live there. It's a wonder he lived this long. <laughs> magic 101. <laughs> I, I can't believe his youngest kid went to college. I mean, that guy would have been dead within six months. Wait, like, you're saying he should live there so he has the protection from vampires for, for his home? Yes. I see. I I agree. I think in general, this is like a totally underused trump card that all of our oh, heroes have. Don't say like, that word. Okay, fair enough. But like, uh, like if you knew that there were vampire vampires were real, right? But they can't go in your house. You would never go outside at night for the rest of your life. Why did? Why aren't his hours from <laughs> dawn till dusk? Like that should be the hours. Like it, it shouldn't be yeah. from like seven to seven because that, buddy, that that dusk changes. Why are they still meeting at the library at nighttime? Why, exactly. why is any of that happening? <laughs> yeah, no, and maybe maybe it's just because Sunnydale was never. I mean, Sunnydale's always been a hot spot, right? It's always been that hot spot because the Hellmouth. But man, that guy, that guy was just dead meat. I mean, ah, uh, and maybe it's just because Angel and and Spike and Drusilla blew into town, but the Master was chilling there, and, and that guy could have died when the Master was there. You know, if the Master needed some magic spell. I mean, we don't know he's not living there, do we? He could, he could have a copy uh, Well, because Drew, he, uh, Travis is referring to the fact that Drew Silla walks oh, in. Right. Walked in. Oh, that's right. walks in. Oh, that's right. Sorry. We yeah. do know, never and mind. he immediately right. recognizes she's a vampire because of yeah. whatever magic abilities he has. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so moving on to the next two thing here, I think we're in Act 2. Janice, did you, did you have anything from Act 1 before we get into... Uh, uh, there's a Charlie Brown Christmas reference. Uh, oh! Thank you. Just, you know, that, that's, that's the kind of thing s- I'd have to notice. New segment, are, you writing, uh, are you writing up a, a fine as we speak? Are you, are you going to submit a claim? I, years I'm later? pretty sure. Uh, just, to, just mentioning it doesn't damage <laughs> our property. Oh, man. I know. Um, oh. Uh, so John's saying the chalkboard in the computer lab reads utter nonsense. <laughs> Result yeah. from mangling of the fat transformation if Mace RxBABUD DC Tools Deluxe Mirror can copy of the that is available every more certain. So I was just reading the in quote. Yep, that's what it says. That's what it says on the chalkboard behind uh, Ms. Calendar in the computer lab. It's complete gibberish. I don't know why they wrote that. It's data recovery, John. They're recovering data 
and it's a uh, who knows what is rx babood <laughs> uh it's a combination of computer language and gypsy spells <laughs> <laughs> yeah well maybe that's the gibberish she was trying to decipher uh, oh, yeah, that's maybe she was part of it. It wasn't. It well, certainly was not. <laughs> I don't know why she would put all that on the chalkboard in her classroom, but that that I'll buy that explanation. That's a good uh, Travis defense. Yeah, at least it's a good, it's a plausible, plausible deniability. Yeah. That's all I go for. Yeah. Um. So I I counted up. I was I was trying to pick. I was trying to count up how many times Angel has tried to kill Buffy's friends or Angelus. I mean, um. And he's not a very, for the evil guy he is, he's not very successful. I think his count is, he's only one for four in terms of attempts at murdering all of her friends. So counting, counting his um, uh, attempt on Joyce that, was, that resulted in some weird behavior but wasn't, uh, was stopped before he could come in. So, uh, so I think then- that's, that's a pretty weak percentage. Uh, no, he's not a very effective killer, but neither are Spike and Drusilla or any of the bad guys, right? Like when it comes to Buffy and the gang. The fact that Angel gets one in this episode, that's like, that's so serious and amazing, um, which we will talk about later. I so think we're meant to understand, there's got to be dozens of off-screen murders, right? No, no, I think we're meant to understand that. Oh yeah, but uh, yeah, certainly of random people. But I mean, in the episode, he turns evil, he tries to kill the entire group in the library and fails. He tries to kill um, Xander in Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered and fails because of Drew. And he tries to kill Joyce and fails. So, like, I'm just saying, of his, like, attempts to harass her, like, he's not doing great. Yeah, it's pretty shitty. Yeah, he's not good at his Step job. He has one job, by the way. Your game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he <had> one job. <laughs> That's to be a terror. Uh, so, John, these are... Okay, so apparently, John, you had a very like a lot going on in the computer lab observation wise. Uh, you're saying angel smashes the computer. The hard drive's probably fine. Yep. You just throw it, it catches on the fire. It catches on fire. It's on fire. <laughs> <laughs> just like, it's probably, I don't know. There's a chance. Yeah. I, I think it's funny. Just, I love that scene of how little angel really, obviously he wouldn't understand computers that much that he's like, it's it. It's it. It's destroyed. It's like, that could have been emailed. Uh, like obviously it's in a floppy disk, but it could have been like good thing. It was, you know, this is before cloud storage. Um, like, Question about no Google that. Drive. Does does Angel know what what Jenny what if it was working before on? Slack? Did Jenny <laughs> everything? Does Jenny explain at all what she's working on to anybody really effectively? Maybe Giles kind of knows what she's doing. Like she does. Buffy no. doesn't fully understand either, right? That she's trying to give Angel his soul back, right? No. No, nobody knows. Like, That's Jenny a... was probably going to tell Giles that night. He, but she, she said, like, I'm working on something, but I don't want to like say it in case it doesn't work. Can I tell you tonight? Um, so this is okay. totally unknown to everybody, except for Angelus and Drusilla, because Drew got like wavy notions from a puppy and the shopkeeper. Now, it's kind, it's kind of cool because I think that like there's this red herring a little bit because they're trying to everybody thinks that they're working on the anti-invitation spell or like that's like the implication when Jenny's going to the uh, magic shop for me was like, Oh, she's working on the thing to make sure that angel can't uh, draw pictures of Buffy while she sleeps. But in fact, yeah, anyway, I guess they don't know. And angel doesn't know either. He just generally angry. I don't know why no, he's, he knows because he knows. He knows. Drew okay. has drew magically. Oh, right. Um, the vision the predicts vision. it. Yeah. Okay. She gets doggy predictions. Yeah. 
yeah, sunshine. Told me. Yeah, sunshine told her. So ironically, if Spike had just eaten that freaking dog, then then his <laughs> his dream of Angel getting his soul back would have probably happened, right? Oh, stupid Spike. Uh, yeah, I didn't realize how, how close <laughs> things were. Eater. Uh, so then, John, you have a very specific one for Dennis. Do you want to read this one? Uh, or I can read it. No, I got it. Uh, sure. So, Dennis, you you and I have this really specific thing in common that we've both been janitors at art schools. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. <laughs> so, uh, did you notice that the, uh, the the janitor cart gets, like, totally knocked over? <laughs> yeah, I wrote a note about the janitor cart. I, was all, I also wrote... Angel is an idiot for running into that thing. Yeah. <laughs> but did you have feelings about that? Because I was like, uh, I felt a little bit possessive about my janitor cart. <laughs> I did, like, I, I went into a second of like, what a fucking mess. Exactly. <laughs> but then I was like, <laughs> there's also fire. I don't know. <laughs> also, that janitor was probably there in the building. He was probably like going to the bathroom or something. Oh, he seriously. Okay, yeah, that. it comes right back. <laughs> Fuck, what just happened? <laughs> These kids. Oh, speaking of janitors getting, uh, yeah, who are getting theirs. I just saw Ginger Snaps, and there is totally a janitor messed with moment. By the way, that movie's a lot of fun. Uh, I definitely scratched an itch I didn't know I had until watching uh, Buffy. But uh, that was blessed. I love all the weirdness. Two favorite scenes. Sorry, really quick. Uh, when uh, she's got... <laughs> When uh, Ginger, I guess, is like discovers all the hair on her chest, and she's like, "Yeah, you got some line about like can't have it. can't have hair. I on can't your have chest. a hairy che- hairy chest be that's fucked. That's fucked. <laughs> that's such an amazing transformative moment. And then uh, also when uh, B discovers like kind of creeps and like pulls back her underwear and discovers she has a tail. So fucking good. I'm ruining this movie, but it's so good. It does not happen, are, by the way. Yeah, those are good selling moments. You know. Uh, so then, uh, Ginger Fitzgerald, very close to my heart. I haven't seen two or three yet, but I uh, acquired on a, a Blu-ray Ginger Snaps for it to watch. Uh, so then, uh, John, you have this interesting observation here. Giles is having a clockwork, own, clockwork orange moment with whatever opera this is, and I assume that's when he sees Jenny's body. Yeah, like Angel leaves an opera playing for him, which is like a really good La twisted Boheme. thing. Is that what it is? I don't know anything about opera. Machine must... learning has told me it's Lavo M. Very good. Uh, awesome. I just uh, I just noticed that dope Victrola he has. I didn't yeah. Even... So like he liked this opera enough to own it on fucking wax cylinder or whatever. And like and so then uh and so then he comes he comes home, he's listening to his favorite opera and he's like, ah, totally traumatizing moment. It's totally like the um Ludwig Van business in Clockwork Orange. So do you think he would ever listen to that opera again? I think he will never listen to that opera again. And when he would does you? Oh, would I? If I was him or if, if I was me. Him. Well, if you, uh, were, you no, know, well, or like a CD. <laughs> okay. If well, you was... came home and your girlfriend was dead and John Henry was playing. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, I it's see. Not... You're, you're testing yeah. how much I love the Happy Giants. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that, I, I don't know. I, I think that would ruin even my favorite music. I, I think I have to say. Subliminal. <laughs> hey. then, you'd, then you'd lose two, two things at once. That's sadder. I know. That's why it's a really effective, fucked up thing for Angelus to do. I think that it's one of the more twisted things that we have. But it needs yeah. to be done I mean, work deliberately in a film. Like literally someone needs to say, what's your favorite song? And the guy's like, uh, and then like plays like whatever the favorite song is and then murders the guy's wife, you know, <laughs> in front of him. Like now it's not like, 
Didn't they do that in American as Psycho? Long, as long as he says, now it's not in that voice. Yeah. <laughs> now it's not. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, but, uh, You're like a really punchable serial killer, Mike. <laughs> I, no, I would not be a good serial killer. He's the prankster serial killer. <laughs> Isn't it sad? Because of the music. This is your favorite song, but now it's not. Like the only thing I think it comes close is like is American Psycho has this has a lot of really weird music. Genesis. That, the, he, yeah, he's, like, he's listen, obsessed with music, yeah. Yeah. and then he kills people when he's listening to music, and he's like, "You don't like this?" Or they make fun of his music yeah. and he kills them. But it's for his benefit, not the victim's benefit. Yes, yes, it's not yes, quite so the it's, same thing. No, no, no. The whole angel setting up this crime scene is pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, there's candles on every single stair, and I was just like thinking about after he places the body and he sets everything up and he's like lighting every single candle and he's like, I'm one candle short. I got to go back out to the like, like, <laughs> well, he could, like to be on set himself on fire. <laughs> that would be a great separate show, which would just be serial killers setting up and dressing their victim scenes, and it would just be a like, and it'd be like a real time show, and like. <laughs> like you know, the murder could happen <laughs> at the beginning of the show, midway through, the end. Who knows? But that's like oh, like those uh, home fix rapper shows where they're like they do the big reveal at the end and they're like they move the big truck. Yeah, it's no, like I, flip this, oh. it's flip flip this body. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm maybe more. I'm thinking maybe of like a, just a weird YouTube channel. Okay, maybe it's not. Yeah. I don't know. That sounds very close to what the Hannibal TV series was like. Oh really? I didn't see that one. Just because there's so much body setup in that show, they're like. Uh, then we're not a I, performance art to it. I think it's remarkable that Giles just gets released from prison or from jail that night. There is a horrific crime at his house. He was also probably a suspect in a murder last year, right? Like he, he or this police, year. This year, the police files must have said, you know, Rupert Giles. Interested, interested party in murder of those two, those two people. I think the um, blue goo guys. It, yeah, yeah, from yeah, uh, he's not a guy with a clean slate. Yeah, it is and, surprising. They do just cut to him. It's actually it's a really beautiful cut in the show where they just cut yes. to him like waiting, uh, like with the police line, like hit just a reaction shot. You know, because we come across the body as you know Giles comes across it, and then cut to Giles' reaction with the uh, like police tape drawn and like assuming detectives are investigating. Like it's great, but uh, yeah, he's definitely should go to jail at least for a night. Yeah, you'd hold him. Yeah. You'd hold him. Um, question him for at least eight to oh, ten I, hours. I'm gonna add in a prediction here. Hold on. And I, th- I think the best part about that scene is is his is him with the police shocked, and then. The, the best part of this episode is when he, I think the best scene of the episode is when he calls Buffy's house and you watch Buffy, Buffy and Willow receive the news with Angelus watching, you know, soaking up all that grief. Yeah. That's the best shot of the whole. I episode. also really like, um, I feel like Willow hanging out in Buffy's house is also like, she hangs out in, his, in her house a lot this episode. And it feels like this one little random moment or part that actually feels like a normal part of like hanging out and being a teenager and stuff is like hanging out at your friend's house. You know, it's like, cause this show gets so dramatic and everything. And then there's this little bit where like Buffy and Willow are just really good friends. And I mean, it's because Willow's fish was killed, but like she's welcome in her house. She's hanging out in her house while upstairs, like they're the Buffy and her mom are having like the talk. Like there's just something like about that that feels almost out of place with how normal it is 
in this yeah. like terrible world they live in. Which is, it feels so right. Yeah. Uh, can we, t- can we talk about how the, the talk is not actually the talk that they talked about? They didn't have the talk. The talk is the birds and the bees talk. That's what most people they mean the when pre- they mean the talk. The- this is the talk. There's no such thing as the talk when you talk about your child's first sexual encounter. That's not the talk. It's yeah. It's the post game <laughs> show, not the pregame show. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it's definitely uh, there isn't like a clear path for how that talk goes, uh, as is evident by the way that it's handled in this episode. Like, how do you talk to your daughter about how you're disappointed with your choices? And also, if she's having sex with this guy, how many other guys is she having sex with? I think like I, I can totally understand mom's wavelength. By the way, on this, where like. You know, there's a strange man outside the house and it's like, he has that weird confession. You know, Angel's like, uh, ever since I've slept with her, I've been ever, have been able to sleep, you know, <laughs> like just super creepy. Yeah. And like, she's like, uh, that's all I'm taking in right now. <laughs> and then, you know, of course, punishing her daughter, you know, like, I mean, that, that's a, that was a challenging conversation about to be a part of. And it's also like, I mean, I have a, I have a kind of question related to it, um, in the the questions for the group thing, but it's basically like, you know, when your parents totally miss you feel like your parents totally misinterpret a relationship or like what's going on in a thing. Like we know way so much more about the angel Buffy scenario and how that twisted, but mom's version is like so much simpler and like Mm -hmm. blissfully simple. You're like, Oh, of course you think that mom, (laughs) you have no details. Uh, And I, I like, I kind of like parent reality sometimes because it's like, oh yeah, that is that is actually pretty close to what's going on. <laughs> and uh, Joyce being worried about whether they used protection or not is like a very different world than what Buffy lives in. First of all, I don't think you can get the same kind of problems from having sex with a vampire as you can a normal human. If you look, watch closely the scene where Angel and Joyce are on the ground and, and Joyce spills all the all the groceries. There's this awesome orange that Angel's trying to throw back in that grocery bag. And it just goes flying, like, really far away. And, and Joyce, like, just falls that thing like it's a fucking tennis ball at Wimbledon. She's like this. And it's like, you, she wanted to go and get that orange so bad, but she's like, I'm not screwing up this scene at all. So then it's like, it's this orange that is totally gone. And they're just like, let's get this scene done. It's really amazing. You should Do watch it that. Do you think that's, uh, would that qualify as good prop work? Incredible, like, accidental amazing prop work like just just could, like, you, could you also interpret it as angela's dick and like i'm gonna pretend to help you with these groceries but i'm just gonna throw this orange off screen no 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 it was like it was completely by accident and and, and you can see in their eyes there's this moment where they're like oh shit are we have to redo this and they're like no fuck the orange forget the orange the orange is dead to me let's finish this scene because you know they're still trying to play like she needs her groceries <laughs> Wow, I've yeah. only watched this episode twice. Not, not barely, barely <laughs> investigated what's going on in this episode. <laughs> you barely scratched the surface. We haven't had a prop work reference in a while. Well, there haven't been good props, man, to be honest. Yeah. When you, when I you see, when you uh, was going to bring up prop work for later on. I think I wanted to know Travis's opinion about what I think is really good prop work of Giles setting that fire and then lighting that torch and immediately swinging it. Like that's some skilled, uh, motherfuckery right there. It was that scene. I got on a tangent when I was writing the summary because when I, when that scene happens, I'm like, Oh, napalm. And then I'm like, Oh, maybe I should call it Greek fire for Mike. I, I was just sort of like, when I was writing the summary. <laughs> it's like land fire. It's Greek fire, but no, it's, napalm is different than Greek fire. So I had to, I didn't, I didn't include it for Mike, but I was this close. 
Uh, That's so, my neat pump story. I'm going to move on to the next observation. Um, Travis, you're saying, if only Jenny had the cloud, they could have re-insold Angelus without any trouble. I guess you've been joking about that already. The podcast. Dennis stole that. <laughs> Dennis, Dennis saw that I had written this down, and he and he. he I haven't he, looked at the. I haven't looked at our notes. I was. Sounds. I have on my notes Google Drive. I'm going to um, check the keystrokes. I'm going to see if you've looked at this. And then uh, John's oh, right, <laughs> next observation: uh, Miss Calendar's tombstone reads Jennifer Calendar. Why not Yana Calderaj? That's a great point. <laughs> yeah, that was her secret name. It wasn't her. Her. That's her real name. <laughs> like she's buried under a fake name. That is rough. That uncle, is like not uncle, a uh, homeless guy from beef. Ghost is going to come back. He's going to be so disappointed. How many immigrants <laughs> died in the United States who were buried with fake names? Right, like that's no, true. Would, yeah, every, every every family's got a story where a vowel was changed, or three letters were cut off, or half the word was cut off. Also, yeah, but I could tell an undercover name. Like it's not like she goes ah. Yeah. <laughs> But if you no, know, obviously bury someone Giles with a real name, handled the this cover. burial, right? Like this was the this is the first uh, time we saw someone get buried. I think Giles I, handled I think this I whole a, burial. I'm, I'm pretty sure I have a prediction about this, which uh, I'm sure you do. I, I lose at. We shall see. Um, before her, before we see her grave after she dies, though, I just wanted. There's a great um, Cordelia's Cordelia pulls up, and her car has this giant crucifix on it, and it's like during a really like sad scene, but it's a funny sight gag. <laughs> and it's like really weirdly out of place. I mean, just I've seen this like so, five times. I didn't notice that. I've never noticed. It's that. so large. Like That's it's great. so cartoonishly large. I missed that too. I apparently need to see this another three times. I this is that. the best episode of season uh, two. You probably just need to watch this episode. Like, you know, uh, five all the time times. for 20 years to really notice this. Yeah. Uh, this is this is the best episode. So much stuff happens. There's a culmination of so many story arcs and and things you can't come back from. And Mike, finally, I watched the DVD. The DVD's got Joss Whedon commentary that is spoiler free. So oh, we can watch it sometime. Uh, I'm sure you can watch it. I'm I'm sure he's yeah. I can see why he'd want to be on this one. This is like a great episode to like take credit for. It's a good one. Uh, it's also like another extreme episode, like the Angelus episode, where it's like the show diverts again and set in like terms of your viewer expectations. It's it's a good episode. Yeah, but. I like to think of these. These are like the X Files conspiracy episodes versus the Monster of the Week episodes. Only like it doesn't have that we're going to run for thirteen seasons and never come to a satisfying resolution aspect to it. Uh, so Is then, John. John's uh, next observation here. Jenny's the first person Giles buried as a watcher that he loved. What about Deidre Page and Thomas Henry? These are uh, Giles' buddies from uh, back in England. And uh, he definitely, I mean, he didn't literally bury them. But, He's got no love for him. Yeah, he doesn't love them? Those are like his like Those are, his those are people from, from his punk days. He feels only guilt and hatred yeah. for those I times just, in his life. I just feel Except like... Except for Ethan Rain, who he secretly lusts for. Yes. I, I think I think Giles' definition of love is either weirdly narrow or something uh, when he says that he... I don't know. I feel like Giles the probably had a, is probably had a lot of... The is, in my years as a watcher, and it, they, like, it made in me my think years he as buried a others... Okay. Has he buried other slayers? Like right, he doesn't. He doesn't say if he's buried other slayers. That's a big, a big fault, plot fault here. I, th- I think I'm with you, John. I think he just has a narrow definition. 
of love. I think he's just using a traditional uh, romantic definition of love here rather than right. uh, a humanistic version. I'm with you. Okay. Uh, yeah. The, I uh, don't know what to say about this one. I don't understand uh, what is his relationship with Jenny felt like a real relationship. I, I don't think we got enough of a glimpse in the other ones. I wasn't concerned about that, but that is a fair point like for fan fiction to be written about. Uh, John, uh, this last observation is amazing. Can you just say this one out loud? Because this is amazing. I just, I just noticed that uh, Jenny Calendar had more than a week's lesson. I think she did. I, maybe the time's a little hard to figure out, but I think she had more than a week's lesson plans done ahead of time. So she's definitely a better computer teacher than I am. <laughs> she's more, more on top of her shit. Uh, R.I.P. Jenny. She <laughs> uses her calendar, man. <laughs> so, so can I, um, can we, can we briefly, I don't know if any of you have thought about this. Um, can we come up with a quick list of movies that have major plot points related to either objects falling behind desks or being sat on by animals and hidden or being hidden by codes or something? Because this episode, this, okay. So my, uh, my one example. I'm sorry, so, wait, that is an insane list of possibilities. No, no, it's, it's, wait, it's like objects it's, falling no, no, behind this. This is when we're <laughs> being sat on by animals, these being hidden in No, I, hold on, hold on, hold on. So what I'm saying is major plot I, points are determined. I feel like determined. it's misreading no, a story. No, when you be trying to focus on that. No, no. I'm, I'm attacked on this podcast all the time. What I'm just saying is, I'm giving you examples. It could be anything where a plot point is hidden by an object or person that it seems silly. There's a lot oh. of movies. The one that comes to my mind, of course, you're going to burst out laughing when I say The Princess Diaries. Because in that movie, there's an important letter that's sat on by a cat for like 25, 30 minutes. And then eventually, right. um, the, lead, the main character finds this letter. So that so was like, came to my mind. In this episode of two, one, Cordelia put her jacket on a letter. And then two, the floppy disk falls behind a desk. So Back to the Future 2 is one other movie. Oh, that's a fair point, right? Because the almanac is kind of like this weird talisman that we see like it. Right. Uh, where does it Yeah, now? and there's the whole thing where uh, Marty's trying to grab it from the principal's office and like Biff is hiding it in places and stuff. That's what that came to my mind. But. This is, I, I'm not quite sure I totally understand. I, I like that as a genre of films, though. <laughs> the genre of movies where objects are lost behind something. And they're for people, like, we've all lost stuff and, like, lost our minds looking for it. So, like, the lost and found genre, maybe? <laughs> I think uh, Lord of the Rings is kind of the, the er example. <laughs> yeah, see? See? Lost and found films? Yeah. What about that whole TV show Lost? Not the same thing. <laughs> That's a pun. I'm sorry, that's killing. That kills you, uh, your credibility when you make a pun. But I, I do like Lord of the Rings, like in a category for lost and found movies. Yeah, like that kind of like confuses you a little bit. So that's, but that's uh, Lord of the Rings from Sauron's perspective. Or yeah, sort Sauron. of. Or like, there's also that that crazy movie. Where's my ring? There's that movie where they uh, they misplace uh, Tom Hanks for like three years on an island, and then they find him. I feel like every horror movie, like his devil misplaces something that a human gets a hold of, and it's like the devil's trying to get it back. Right. I don't know. Uh, I I thought I thought this happened more frequently. 
Oh, it I think it does, but it's, I think it does, but it's an insanely broad category. Is the issue? No, that's so why I was trying to make it narrow with the animal and the desk sedan. I was trying to I was with trying three to r- insanely specific examples. <laughs> it's got to be a desk, an animal's butt, or a coat is the obscuring <laughs> item. Yeah, I'm trying to narrow it for us, guys. Well, I've got I'm, the Princess Diaries on the map, but I need something else to link it to. Well, obviously, we're going to notice it now. Like all we're gonna see is the lost lost item movies. <laughs> lost uh, in I a day. Say that Goonies never, was one of them, but maybe right. Goonies isn't one of them. I mean, if Goonies is one of them, then like all the Indiana Jones movies are them also. Yeah. Uh, why? Wait, why is Indiana Jones? Because he's. He's looking for Lost Cities or whatever. No, Lost City. No, that's it's not Lost City. You know that. It's something lost behind a desk, in a couch, or an animal sitting on it. Yeah. Dude, where's my car? Would be uh, okay, okay. Well, see, uh, see, the Nazis dude. lost Henry Jones's... Uh, um, the Grail Diary. Book. Yeah. Yeah. His diary. Yeah. He should have sent I, to the Marx Brothers it, is what he should have done. If uh, if any of the listeners can tweet some some of these whatever they find at the Buffy Virgin podcast <laughs> Twitter, that would if, be useful. If to our me. listeners can understand what this genre is, <laughs> and if you come up with a better title for this genre, we're calling it Lost and Found. If there's a better genre title, please let us know at Buffy Virgin Pod, and uh, Dennis will get back to you. All right, uh, then I have just mm-hmm. one little observation here for the end. Uh, I want more scenes with people crying and fighting. I really love uh, how traumatic and amazing that fight scene is at the end where it's like it's super righteous which is an exciting fight you know giles is basically suicidal and uh buffy is too and then they're like they both kind of like just cry and collapse at the end like i feel like i personally as someone that never wants to fight anyone rather be i'd rather be killed by a gun than own a gun uh that like if i was ever driven to a fight like this is where i want to be headspace wise i want to be like totally lost my mind like it just felt it felt really uh i'm sad that they don't win <laughs> i'm sad that angel escapes uh because I, I hate angel now he's my but I, i'm totally I'm jealous but i'm with them on that fight and uh crying and fighting love it mike is emotionally invested yes yes okay you're gonna taunt me uh is this the uh the first appearance of uh bamf giles Banff Giles? Uh, Banff is a badass motherfucker. That's a uh, common. <laughs> it's a common tag on uh, slash fiction. Um, I, it depends on whether you think him beating Ethan Rain senseless is. Yeah, Banff I think that, I think that's the first Banff Giles, really. But this is definitely like. I mean, I really love that move he does of grabbing the club, setting it on fire, and swinging at him all in like one it's spiral. The, it's the no so look badass. set the bat on fire that makes it cool. <laughs> Because he doesn't even yeah. look. He's just like, bats on fire. That's so cool. Yeah, and he's obviously like, he's not planning on just killing Angelus. He's like, I'm going to beat him with fire for a while first. Like, <laughs> Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's kind of thoughtless, like, as far as like the plan to get Angel Angelus. It's like, I'm going to get him. And then here we go. And, uh, oh yeah, fire. Okay, and then this. Like, it feels kind of organic and uh, it's rad. Yeah, uh, but yeah, uh, and this is also w- the quote I wrote down for Buffy Speak was um, Xander being like, "Oh, those are just his everyday weapons. These are his good weapons for when company comes over." <laughs> Save your Buffy Speak. Oh well, we should have done it earlier. I guess we kind of blew the yeah. order. Buffy Speak. I, 
I didn't want to bring that up, but can I do my Buffy speak now? Yeah, please, dude. It's got one. I love this line. Uh, Angel says to Jenny <clears throat> in the classroom, uh, she's saying, Angel, I'm going to restore your soul. And he goes, I heard you went shopping at the local boogity boogity store. <laughs> it's just, just, it's just the, the silliest thing you could say. And it just, uh, I love that line, the local boogity boogity store. Um, and then my second uh, Buffy speak, and this is the most self-righteous. It, it's a Xander line I remember all, all the time. Um, and it's when Xander, Xander goes, unlike you, I've, I've so I'm paraphrasing. Um, unlike you, I've, I've, I've hated Angel amongst us the longest. Or I've, I've always disliked Angel. I've always hated Angel. And, and, and it's like his self-righteous moment at the end. And he's such a, as we talked about, such a flawed character. But it's a great line for him to feel good about himself for all of his petty reasons. He didn't like Angel for petty reasons, but now it's convenient. Now Angel, Angel's in jealous and so he's evil. So now Xander gets what he wants. They're going to kill his sexual male sexual rival. Yeah. Uh, any more Buffy speak? Uh, no? Okay. Yeah, me neither. Uh, so we're going to group questions and then themes. I think there's not too many group questions, so this will be pretty quick. Uh, I kind of framed this question earlier, but, um, you know, were you ever surprised by your parents' version of your friends? Uh, or do you recall ever hearing your friends, character, your mother, or your father, parents characterizing your friends and being like kind of surprised? Like, for instance, you know, having your, I recall my mom saying like, oh, you know, like your weird friend or your bad friend, you know, like, like that kind of thing. Mike, name names. Who oh, is no, your friend? Who's who? Who's who? None of those people are on this podcast, so it's not important to go into. But, you know, like that kind of characterization. And I'm not trying yeah. to be vague. I can tell you about this when we're not on this podcast. Uh, and when, I'm sorry uh, that people are, who are listen to this podcast think we are vague and mysterious all the time. No, we're just, we don't want to like, we want the world to be a better place. I don't feel like we should name any names. I mean, you know, we're not. Who t- thinks that? Did somebody say you're being mysterious? Mary said we were mysterious. She was on the podcast uh, last week. Oh, that's right. She did kind of say that. I remember that. Uh, She's also totally outing people's full names. Uh, so different strokes, man. Different strokes. Yeah, my mom when uh, when the movie Rushmore came out said that Mike looks like Jason Schwartzman. So that was a weird interpretation. I thought, did you get that, Mike? Because I don't see it. Uh, you know, people think I look like dark-haired people, so I'm kind of like <laughs> part of the dark-haired clones. Oh, should I bring up? Um, I forgot to bring this up at the beginning of the podcast, but I was something up. You asked a question, Mike, and bewitched, bothered, and bewildered about whether or not your friends ever gave you shit for dating somebody. And I don't know if you want me to bring this up, but we totally gave you shit about dating somebody in high school. Oh, did you? Do you know who? Do you remember that message I left on your answering machine? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You guys. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what we're talking yeah, about. T- Tessa, you guys gave me a hard time about dating Tessa, I think, right? And, well, just because uh, you you were gone all the time, right? We missed you. We missed you. Not only had you gone to Turkey for yeah, a whole no, month. No, uh, you left then Tessa was there. Then you did a mess a message where you pretended to be her and that you were pregnant and left it on the voicemail. That's incredible wow. message. Home, home, and the most incredible part was not my falsetto because my voice was naturally higher at that time as well. But the falsetto did kick it up a couple notches. But the best part was that your mom thought it was real. <laughs> <laughs> That was the era we lived in. She thought it was real. You were so upset at us. Or I guess. Who, wait, us. who is us? I don't, I wasn't part of this. Who is us? I had somebody there with me, I think. Um, 
I'm sure. I, it, was, uh, it wasn't just me. It was me and another person, I'm sure. And uh, you were like really upset at us. No, it, I was upset because I think my mom, my mom was like really concerned. <laughs> yes, because yes, your mom didn't give me all that this That sounds like a re- reasonable thing to be upset about. It does. <laughs> oh, come on. It was a prank. We missed him. We, I, it's not like I called Tess's house saying Travis. I was Michael. This was just a, this was like, you know, uh, acting out. I, I, it's fine. I mean, it, it's at this point. Travis, stop matter. pranking people with phones, man. Just cut it out. <laughs> You can't be upset at me. It was a prank. Is a great justification for behavior. <laughs> no, I'm it definitely was, it was, not upset now. Now it seems really funny, but at the time, I totally remember my mom being yeah. like wanting to have a Joyce-like conversation with me about it. Where you're welcome. Oh. She wanted to talk to me about uh, how to have how to have protected sex, and I was like, I'm not having sex. This is Travis. Can you hear his voice? She's like, no, I just, no. I mean, I wish we still had that on tape because I was selling something and I wasn't sure I was really selling it, but man, she bought it. Well, another, another time, another time. Uh, I, I don't know what people are doing now. I feel like you would have to send like a fake Snapchat to somebody's mom now or something. Oh, I think it's easier than ever to do that kind oh, of gaslighting. Oh, right, you just log on to someone on Facebook or something. Yeah, there holds a whole form of cyberbullying where you make a fake account for somebody, whether they have a real account or not, and just like make up a whole life for them. Oh, you're right. That's way easier than a falsetto voice. Oh Which is God. like, I, I, falsetto I, I, voice I, is like I, the I, great I, girl's voice. It's like the best fake girl voice. That's great. I cyberbullied my best friend. I thought I was just regularly bullying him. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the friend characterization thing. Um, yeah. So like parents, you definitely heard about your parents' version of some of your of your people at different times. Um, so I was just relating to the to Joyce in that one. So uh, John, uh, you're. Question for the group: Angelus narration, bad framing device, or the worst framing device? <laughs> it's the one part about this episode I can't stand. You really? Because uh, it doesn't end with his narration either. It just—it's just in the beginning. No, it ends with it. No. Does, is there Angelus at the end? You're both wrong. You're both wrong. It ends with Buffy's narration. Booyah! It is. What? It, no, yes, we're not both it, wrong. I'm right. There doesn't end with the narration. John, it ends with, it no, it does end with. Angel. It doesn't so, end it, end, but there's a closing narration, and then there's like a little epilogue. There is a, no, a, Angel definitely. Angelus definitely has a closing narration where he's like. But then that goes narration back to is the passion theme. I'm but about to watch the last two up, minutes of this. But then that narration is. Listen to me. I just watched it for the fiftieth, fifteenth. He opens the episode with his narration. The episode closes with several lines of Angelus's narration, but then it goes to Buffy's narration. That's why you guys are both kind of confused. Okay. Yeah, so it does end with Angel and Jealous's narration, but then Buffy gets the last words. It's All her right. with the last words saying, I'm finally ready to kill this guy. I just checked it. You're right. Yeah, of course I'm right. I mean, <laughs> about yeah, this. I mean yes, of course you are. About this, this is the only thing I'm good at. Um, I think it's a really good, I think, it, I think it's good because. I hope I your patients aren't listening. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's really good that. Uh, the reason that it's useful is it's really hard to portray, to try to, to form a psychological profile of of what some of these uh, of sort of the bad guy of, of Angelus. You know, it takes a long time. That's what I'm saying. Hearing some of his narration, whatever whatever they're saying, and it's kind of strange. It doesn't seem like he understands passions. I don't think the narration itself, the words are are quite right. 
But it helps us as the audience get a little more inside his head to try to make that perspective more interesting. You, you, you don't have to have that. You just have, you have to have more time. You have to have more scenes. So, so it's kind of a bit of a shortcut. Um, so I think it's useful from that perspective. And, it's, and, for, and for the series Buffy, narration happens so rarely. Uh, it's, it's, not, it's not overused. Um, so that, that, that's my take on why it's useful. Because here's a guy who was good, but now you have to show that he's bad. And yet somehow still show that he has some elements of what here was still good. So it helps the flow. Yeah. It helps the flow. I'd to- say I really like the opening scene, just the like the, the way those scenes are shot of Angel st- Angel stalking them and stuff. Um, so the narration for me is tolerable to let those creepy scenes happen. Cause otherwise it would be silent, but maybe it would even work better if it was just silent. That if it was like a silent opening act, um, just showing Buffy enjoying her life and Angela's creeping on her a lot. Um, I just, other- I think those are some of the best shot and weirdly like creepy scenes in the series so far. So that's a real good point. The other, I'll say this one I'll shut up. The other problem with Angel is he doesn't have real friends. So unlike Buffy's character who can talk to Willow and Xander and Giles and have some of this exposition of her feelings and jealous doesn't really have that his relation he doesn't so he needs narration is is practical because he can't tell that crap to uh cordelia spike i'm sorry drusilla and spike so that'd be weird if he was like talking to spike and spike was like tied down like being forced to listen but that that's a really good point that it like really mellows angels like creepy spike you know creepy obsession like if he's stalking uh buffy and like drawing a picture of her like that scene is super scary unless you get this little narration to kind of get in his headspace so like it does like kind of uh cut some of the intensity of that that character otherwise yeah otherwise it's like he's just a horror film character so yeah well well done still makes my i still makes me roll my eyes though i mean i i i buy everything that you guys are saying but yeah, in uh, general, something this series does too much in later seasons is it gives characters too many speeches. Right. And this is kind of like the beginning of that maybe. So uh, any other questions or we'll move on to the themes or deeper questions, which are probably just questions, <laughs> but you know, we'll get into them too. Uh, it looks like for uh, deep, deep stuff. Uh, John, your first thing here is Joyce's reaction to Buffy's disclosure about Angel is terrible. Contrast with Giles' reaction in Innocence. Quote, if it's guilt you're looking for, Buffy, I'm not your man. The only thing you'll get from me is my support and respect, end quote. So yeah, in Innocence, we talked about this, how the the episode sort of generally is really kind of shaming Buffy, but at least Giles has this this, uh, sort of discussion with her in the car, right? Uh, When he finds out that she slept with Angel. Uh, But when Joyce finds out, and, you know, keep in mind, like, she thinks that the, the consequences are way lower than what they really are. And she still gives Buffy this massive, horrible guilt trip. Uh, and uh, I just, uh It's a really... Yeah, I, I feel like Joyce missed an opportunity to be, like, comforting towards her daughter about how terrible this dude is, right? Yeah. Because um, she experienced a tenth of his creepiness, right? And you know, could have offered, like, let's call the police and file a report on this guy or something. Totally. Oh, totally. Right. That would have been a normal, within the realm of mom's mom stuff to do, right? Yeah. I mean, this is just the way Buffy, the show works, right? Like, parents are clueless, and they're bad. They're, like, 
bad judges of character. Like, I think the scene plays out true. Like, I think it's a true scene. Like, the confrontation feels good to me. Like, this is how I, I think a parent should, like, a, should be, like, kind of, uh, should maybe react. But it's, like, it's too aggressive and hostile. It's, it, like, it didn't feel like a, like a completely con- contrived scene. It felt like a scene that could happen to me. No, it feels very real. But, and, like, the thing about... I'm disappointed about- in Joyce. Like, I want her to be a better parent than that. Exactly. Yeah, Joyce yeah. doesn't give her any room to actually have learned anything. She just wants to be mad at Buffy, right? So what Buffy's saying is, I know I made a mistake and I learned something. And all Joyce wants to say is, why don't you feel even worse about yourself? And it's, it's, it's very punitive. Yeah. This is very um, bad eggs, Joyce. This is not... Um, yeah. I don't this know. Is, this is tough. an example of good Joyce yet, but... Uh. This is tough because we're all guys and we really need to have a woman's perspective on this on our podcast. Like someone who's experienced this because I know my sister's experienced this just from talking with her. Like... Uh, I rarely have had that situation where it's like you have a relationship that's completely like when it's end, when it's end, it doesn't get to end. Like, you know, someone's stalking that kind of unwanted thing. Like, you know, that that's a rare experience and it would be great to have a woman's perspective because I feel like when you end a relationship, like there's so many like little decisions you have to make, especially, you know, as a woman to make sure that it's ended and it's super clear that it's over. So you don't get this kind of weirdness because that feels like, it's not what the episode is about, but that's what it evokes a little bit. I know that when I've been broken up with like being broken up with in a public place, you know, like kind of <laughs> not in anybody's house, you know, like just so it's, it can be super clear and it's safe, like a safe place to break up. Mm. But I've also like, when someone tells me, no, I'm not like, well, I'll, I'll see about that. You know, I'm not like <laughs> showing up at the house afterwards. Yeah. I think I've always gone away when someone said no. <laughs> Uh, and then, uh, John, your next question here, uh, Buffy's, uh, so how'd it go? Says so much about the Buffy Joyce relationship. Yeah. This is the same scene, uh, at the end, uh, you know, at the end of that scene, they call it the talk, which we talked about was kind of weird, but, uh, you know, so that was the talk and then Buffy asked Joyce, so how'd it go? And it's, to me, I feel like that really encapsulates their relationship where they have this kind of role reversal where, you know, Joyce thinks that she's managing Buffy's experience, or at least that she's trying to, right? Where she's going to help her through and guide her around the curves. And what's really happening the whole time is that Buffy is managing Joyce's experience 100% of the time and is really protecting her and doing all those things. So there's this cool role reversal that goes on in that, that little exchange. I really liked it. Do you think that that last line was written as a joke and the actors didn't realize it or they weren't allowed to do a joke, a joke uh, cut? Oh, I, I think it's, I think it's played perfectly. I don't really. Cause it, it, it's a lot of times a joke. It's, she says, so how'd it go? I don't know. It was my first time. Like, how do they not laugh at that? I think that they played it as, was that how it was supposed like, to play it? a break in the tension, but exactly. not as a full, like, I think the only actress in this show who sometimes reads jokes, like they're serious was Jenny. There's been multiple times where I was like, I feel like Jenny just said a joke, but she read it in a super serious <laughs> manner. Um, hey, lay off Jenny. Uh, which, which leads me to, uh, I didn't listen to the Joss commentary, but I listened to on the DVD an interview with him. And he says, this is, um, uh, this episode was also a lesson for the actors. Be very good or I will kill you. So, which leads me to believe, I don't think Jenny was that good an actress. And she got wow. killed for no. it. That was just me and Whedon making a joke. Yeah. About how bad an actress Jenny is, and she deserved to die for it. She's a great actress. 
I miss Jen. I feel like I, that's just something I've mentioned on the podcast. I think a couple times where I'm like, I feel like if I heard a different character say whatever that specific line is, it would have been different. It would have been, been oh, I thought, you were, I thought you were going to say Cordelia. But Jenny reads, you know, she would read everything like sexy or whatever. For the first yeah, 12 yeah, episodes, Cordelia would read all the lines wrong, it felt. Which, I mean, she's amazing. But I felt like, felt like Cordelia was the one who couldn't get the lines right in, at first. But The only uh, person that nails their gone. lines is Xander. Every time, Xander nails them. It's on top of it, it is kind of crazy how, how well he nails his lines. I'm glad he, you picked up on that, Mike. Well, it's, I think it's, his, it's sort his of sense of humor... If if anything, he's written show, for well. Yeah, the show seems to be written for his sense of pandering. Character's sense of humor. Yeah, like I think he gets the best jokes, the best little lines in, in general. Though, I mean, he comes across as a real petty, scummy human being in the process, which we don't have to go into because I would know that. Uh, so, moving on, Travis, you have a question here. Do you think Buffy had would have forgiven Angel if they were able to reinsole him? And should she? Which is a really good question. Yeah, uh, th- I think the answer is that I, I mean, I think forgiveness is almost moot because they've gone so far out of their way to make Angel and Angelus separate people that it's not. This is like when, uh, you know, uh, Captain Picard is has his uh, body taken over by an alien like it's the same person, sort of, but ninety nine percent. It's not the same person. And like. There's some fallout from it, but it's just a different person. They've, they've really made that clear. They haven't given Angel and Angelus that many things in common. So I, I don't know. I feel like she should forgive him if, you know, not that it would be easy, but. Well, because you know what would happen? He would get re-insold. He would just start, oh, start crying. I feel so terrible what I've done. And then Buffy would forgive him. I think she would, but I'm disappointed in Buffy for forgiving him. But do you, but do you think she could have a relationship with him again? But do you think she could have a relationship with them? I think it would be hip. She knew he was a killer. And so it would be very hypocritical of her to like accept his murdering of all these people she never met and not accept the murder of a good friend. Good point. <laughs> what makes one life more valuable than another? My, yeah. It, oh, it's such a great quote. Damn you, Dennis. Damn you. I can't even say what I want to say now. That's such a good line. She also I, uh, doesn't like Jenny Callender that much. So, you know. <laughs> Maybe she doesn't mind. Well, I guess. I guess the question is, at what point can't? So I guess you could either be in the camp of, okay, so she could forgive him, but say, I never want to see you again because his face would bring back too many horrible memories, right? Teresa, that that girl from her class who he murdered as a message to her. I mean, there's so many bodies, right? She could forgive him, but never want to see him again. That probably, to me, would be seems to me what they would what what she would do. To be quite honest, that that. She she consciously understands that Angelus is a different person, and so she can make that distinction. <clears throat> but uh, I, I think at this by this point he's killed too many people for her to forgive him, and yet still be in a relationship with him. Of course, you know you have to contrast that with uh, this whole simple simple minded concept of. Uh, of the of those two being sort of star-crossed lovers, and when would you would you would you give up on your star-crossed lover if you got a second chance, which is a totally twisted uh, thought process. Well, I think I think we I think we know that she's going to forgive him if and when he gets his soul back. Like she kind of like they're making it so clear that it's a split personality. It is a different person that is doing these things, 
Like it's not Angel. He's a a moral person that worked by her side for season one and a, for one and a half seasons of this show, right? I mean, not totally by her side, but like he kind of helped out. I feel like they're gonna. Forget. It doesn't matter what he does. It literally doesn't matter. Like he murdering Jenny Calendar, a bit character. Like I think that she'll forgive him if he gets reinsulted. There's a second murder committed on this podcast. <laughs> Damn, Mike. What do you mean? <laughs> you just assassinated her her acting character, her acting credit. Oh, by saying she's a bit character. I love Jenny Calendar. I think she's great, but I I just mean like in terms she's of the a, show in general, like she's a Yeah, she wasn't credited above something. the above the titles. So what I'm I guess my I guess the question is who cares if she forgives him if she'll never see him again? I guess the question is if you had your star cross lover and something bad happened, they went to jail or prison. I I'm just I'm throwing this out there. Would you would you against society's society's norms be with that person again i guess that's the bigger question would you would you flaunt society's norms to be with quote your star-crossed your your faded person or would you say no that i I, that's that's no you no i wouldn't be with angel because he's a serial killer he's a crazy serial killer and like even if he's like i'm better baby that was old me like no he's completely untrustworthy she shouldn't she shouldn't forgive him even when he gets his soul back he should be punished forever never get to be with her it's terrible but i think the show wants to forgive him and if he gets his soul back well in this in the show's uh logic him getting his soul back is the punishment right Mm. also he could totally do the abusive boyfriend line and be like i'm good baby it's your fault for making me crazy you just drive me crazy you make me do bad things you know i mean that is somewhat literally true in this case yeah, oh my god! I I love Dennis's character just now of the guy that does crazy things, but not because he wants to. Makes him crazy. And then Travis has another question here: Does Angelus's cruelty make more significant the previous episode where we met Drusilla? Previous episode where we met Drusilla. Well, I'm just saying, does it make it when he says to Buffy, "You haven't rewatched the Drusilla episode"? I've done many unconscionable things in my life. Drusilla was the worst. It's, you know, like finally unleashing, like at that point, you're kind of like hard. It's hard to imagine what a bad angel, 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 angelus character would be. But now that you see that, would that ever on, on a review, on a rewatch on Buffy podcast, rewatch podcast, where you watch everything. (laughs) Wait, like in, uh, in like 2030, when we get all the way through, Every episode of Angel and every episode of Buffy, and we start back at uh, episode we're like, one. We can finally move on with our lives, and then we're like, "No, no, you can't move again. on until you do the rewatch." Go back. <laughs> I thought you guys knew this. You you watch it the first time. That's just a that's just a start processing. It's the rewatch where you exercise the demons. Yeah. So, yes, it does make it more significant. What do we call sure. the Buffy rewatch podcast? By the way, because it can't be Buffy Virgin. Uh, I mean, what are you called if you're not a virgin anymore? Ooh. Buffy Pro. I think it should be something with uh, with gypsy magic. I don't know. Some sort of uh, re- revirgination spell. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, oh, okay. So what you're saying. Oh, like we should just yeah. name it after a kind of surgery for like a, that rejuvenates you. Yeah. Well, anyways, I don't know. That was just my simple my simple thought for the... Finally seeing crazy evil and jealous in action. No, you're, you're totally crazy. right. Though. I mean, it does, it does make it more serious when you see him arrange a body like a creep. Like, yeah, 
he's totally capable of insane things. And before it seemed like maybe not like this same guy, really? Um, okay. So we're done with themes, deep stuff. I think are we ready to move on to predictions. So I have new predictions, but first let's tally old predictions. Yeah. So, okay. So we have some cut and dry ones here. Okay. So first of all, in season two, episode 14, Mike predicts Jenny Callender will die in season two. I think that's confirmed. Confirmed dead. Season two, episode 13, Mike predicts Jenny will be killed by Angel. Confirmed. Well, that was evident after Angel, anyway, after she's responsible for Angel becoming Angelus. It seemed like that was where that was headed. So uh, unhappy with how that played out, but yes. Also in season two, episode 13, Mike predicted that Buffy and Jenny will not be friends. I think, uh, unless there's any objections, I'm going to confirm that one. Yep. Okay, that's confirmed. Now we have two that are a little bit more iffy. So in season two, episode eight, Mike predicted that Jenny Callender will have sex with Giles in season two. So Denied. I think it's denied, but I mean, you could make the argument. I that mean, is, they that might is the have specific sex. reason. I think this show is very clear about when characters have sex. That's the specific yeah. reason you. I did. I didn't allow it when they were making out because I think this show makes a clear like. I'm not saying it shows sex, but I'm saying it indicates very clearly when a character has had sex, and I think that night was supposed to be the first night they were going to do it. I think you're right, Dennis. Uh, it. It makes their their relationship really interesting. I mean, that they they yeah. like. I don't know that many adults who say they are in love before they've had sex with somebody. That's that's. Uh, well, but how, I don't know how that happens. Like the beginning of their relationship interrupted by like somebody losing their soul. You know. Yeah. No, that's true. There are extenuating circumstances. So that is denied. It's a denied prediction. A rare, a rare thing, but there is one. And we have one more to talk about here. Okay, so in season one, episode four, Mike predicted that in Buffy throughout, there will be no funerals. Now, he'd already got credit for predicting no funerals in season one. That was confirmed. I took it too far, John. I doubled down. It was a mistake. But is this a funeral? It's there. They are visiting a grave. She's already in the ground. Is this a funeral? I don't, I don't call this a funeral. This is a graveside visit. So they're going to leave that one open because we could still have funerals in the future, but we're not going to. So we're saying no, no service. Like a, like a I, say, I say you need a service. Okay. It doesn't yeah. need to be a procession. You just need um, to have some sort of service going on. I agree with you. I don't think this constitutes a funeral either. Um, it's close, but I don't think it's a funeral. I, I really want to deny this prediction because we need to deny some predictions. <laughs> Mike's uh, percentage is way too high to be interesting. That's cool. I got some good ones coming at you. You ready? Okay. Uh, before we do that, we, I, we said that um, at the because we mentioned it at the top of this episode that you were at ninety uh, percent. Uh, having uh, tallied those, uh, you actually how is that possible? Oh yeah, no, that makes sense. You went down slightly. Oh, good. Back to the bees. All right. Well, here we go. More, more predictions. You ready, John? Yes. Uh, Giles will never be interrogated by police. Second, next prediction. Prediction. Giles will never go to jail. Ever. Buffy isn't going to get back with Angel 
except in her dreams. Giles has never been a watcher before. This is his first time being a watcher. I don't know where he was trained. I don't know where watcher training. So you're saying in the, like in all my years as a watcher, he was lying. He was just straight up lying. I I don't think, Oh, did he say in all my years as a watcher? He implied he's done this before. Shit. I don't know what it means to be a watcher necessarily. Maybe you could be a watcher and not have a slayer. I don't know. Yeah. 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 I don't think he's watched a slayer before, but now you're making me second guess this stupid prediction already. Maybe I need to rephrase this. Giles hasn't been a watcher for another Slayer before. I don't. I don't know how he would have. But I guess I don't understand how this watcher thing works. I think I have a lot of confusion about watchers. Is what it sounds like. Probably need to watch more Buffy to work on this. Who watches the watchers? Uh, uh, there is a. Special school for watchers. We're going to find out about them. He has way more knowledge than Buffy. Buffy didn't go to school for it. There's a special school for watchers. We're going to go there at some point. I, we're that, gonna, we will, that we will see? Yeah, we're going to see wherever you learn to be a watcher. There's going to be Do you like, care to, to give me a, a, a season frame for that? A time when we'll see that? Season three. It can't be this season. This season's all about Angelus. But it'll be season three. We're going to go to a watcher school. We're going to see where they get, learn their training. Uh, Willow's going to get more fish. When will we see the fish, Mike? The next time we're in Willow's room, she's going to have more fish. She's like, she's not daunted by this. Fish are replaceable. So next time we see Willow's room, we'll see fish in it? If we get it, yes. We'll see. She'll have more fish. Yeah. But I love Cordelia's joke about like, give him a cream with no fish in it. <laughs> I'm going to be really like, we got to nail timeframes on these. Otherwise we're going to have a million predictions. We can't talk about until the last episode. All right. Uh, Should I make some more predictions? Uh, Yes. Okay. More. Um, Okay. Let me think for a sec. We're going to go back to that spell spot where Jenny got that orb. Um, And the guy's going to feel sad about how Jenny is dead too. (laughs) But we're going to go back to that spell spot. That's a good one. When will we see that, Mike? Uh, we're going to go back there season three. Uh, I I think Giles is going to have nightmares about Jenny. I think the character will reappear in a dream or a nightmare or something. Uh, Jenny Calendar, but not, I mean, she won't never be physical, but he, she died. Like her body was placed in his study, like in his house. Like that, there's no way he cannot have nightmares about that. And will that occur in season three? Uh, I'm going to see one nightmare in season two. Uh, I think. In season two, bold prediction. We don't have much season two left. I know. I know there's not a lot, but I think, uh, there's a lot of, uh, last time on Buffy stuff to talk about for season two still. Uh, I think that's, that's all I got right now. Sorry. Willow will continue wearing amazing sweaters. In every episode. 
I know that's silly. All right, great. Uh, so Dennis, uh, kill count and recommendations. All right. Um, I counted, uh, three dead humans. No vamps get staked this episode, but at least one dog dies. Um, maybe a whole litter. I don't, I'm not sure. Uh, and my recommendations, um, I start with blue velvet because, uh, the way angels acting at the beginning is very, uh, voyeurist, which is like a big theme in blue velvet. And the way, um, the, uh, scene with angel and, um, Joyce plays out reminds me a lot of the scene in blue velvet where, um, Laura Dern and Isabella Rossellini kind of confront each other on the lawn. And it's like about that, like collapse of your, uh, suburban safety net, like into like the disturbing realities of nightmare world. Um, I also recommend uh, Suspicion and In a Lonely Place because they are movies where like charming lead actors who we know from other movies to be charming and safe uh, may be killers. Um, and it plays against our feelings of trust for these actors we're supposed to know. Um, and I also recommend Faster well, Pussycat Kill Kill. Wait, wait, sorry. Can you, oh, go ahead, sorry. Uh, I wanted to ask the Suspicion and what else? In a Lonely Place. It's a Humphrey Bogart movie. Oh, they're Humphrey Bogart is the character? Oh, these are old yeah. movies. I'm just looking these up now as you're talking. Okay. Yeah, and I also recommend Faster Pussycat Kill Kill because Xander quotes that movie title this episode. And it's a pretty good Roger Corman movie. Uh, with Russ Meyer, uh, isn't it? Oh, you're right. It's Russ Meyer. Yeah. With Tura Satana. Um, yeah, you're right. It's Russ Meyer. Uh, so those are my recommendations. And uh, Yoder recommended um, Seven. He watched this last night also. That was his rec. For body arranging? Mm-hmm. Or the entire Hannibal series has some good body arranging also. <laughs> okay, I've added all these to the letterboxed. Uh, list. So I've shared it a few times for Buffy Virgin, but if you go to our Facebook page, you'll see the letterbox list. It's a rec- list of all the recommended movies, which is now up to a very high number that it will calculate when I click this button. So hold on a second. I think it's 40 movies at this point. Yeah, so if you don't get enough Buffy, there are 47 movies that Dennis has recommended at various times uh, that you'll probably love. Probably love all of them. 47? In a row. That was not the reference I was making, but well done. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, 47 I, is, is the Star Trek number that comes up in an inordinate number of TNG episodes. Is that bingo? That's great. Um, and gosh, I saw a couple of great movies this week that I would recommend. Uh, Mouth of Madness was really great. Saw that one. Yeah, it's a Sam, awesome. Sam Neill movie. Great. And I saw Angel Heart, which was another fantastic one. Some people say it's the best horror film ever made. I don't know about that, but uh, it was similar enough uh, to Mouth of Madness. Is Angel Heart the movie we fell asleep watching? Yep, totally. Yeah. I fell asleep watching it three times while I tried to watch it again this week. It's uh, atmospheric. <laughs> Yeah. Sleepy and atmospheric. There's occult stuff, but that just occult stuff isn't enough for me. I need a story. 
Yeah, I watched um, Cast the Deadly Spell recently. Have you seen that? It's this like um, HBO movie from, I guess, probably the early 90s. It's got a young Julianne Moore and it's got Clancy Brown. And it's this like noir detective story in a world where like magic is real. And so like the one main detective is like the one guy who doesn't use magic because it's cheating. But his name is Lovecraft and everything is like referencing Lovecraft. Like he goes like to the Dunwich Club and stuff. Um, but other than that, like the, the setting and the draping is all like Humphrey Bogart detective story stylings. So it was it's got cool. like a like a Who Framed Roger Rabbit feel to it, that movie. Yeah, yeah. It's good. What's the name of that one again? It's one of those movies, Cast a Deadly Spell. It's one of those movies that's been on my list of movies I should watch for like half a year or something, and I finally just sat down and watched it. Um, that wasn't available uh, outside of VHS for a long time. It's on uh, HBO streaming now. Well, that... Things do get easier. Yeah. Oh, and uh, I, I mean, dude, they, some specific some stuff randomly gets easier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then it goes away like uh, like Buffy on, on Netflix. Now yeah. it's on Hulu. That's where I'm watching it. But uh, I read uh, Lock and Key, which was a suggestion. That was great. Oh, nice. Yeah, cool. I feel like you've suggested Did you read this podcast. all of them. Uh, I started reading the second volume. There's like six volumes of it, so I haven't read them all now. But, yeah, uh, it's quite good. Yeah, welcome to Lovecraft. Yeah, it's cheesy in places, but mostly it's good. Well, all right. Thank you guys for joining us for another episode of Buffy Virgin. We are Buffy Virgin Pod on Twitter. You can check us out on Instagram to see amazing fan art done by the amazing Dennis St. John. There's a Facebook page you should and like. Mike Foley. Yeah, occasionally, mostly Dennis. I'm doing some uh, really dirty art for the fanzine. Uh, based on erotic fan stories uh, that I've written. John sourced some amazing <laughs> you can't ones. can't post those on Instagram without seeing. I'm not going to post them on Instagram. <laughs> I'm just going <laughs> to put them in the fanzine. Uh, <laughs> now we are being mysterious, but this is a good, this is good mystery. Yeah, wanna... the, yeah. If you want to fo- get the Buffy Virgin fanzine when that becomes available, John uh, has been recommending some great um, uh, fan fiction that appears on uh, different places like archive of our own or whatever. And he's found spoiler safe fan fiction for me to read, which I really appreciate. I need someone to pre-read my stuff. I'm like, a, I'm like a King, you know, I need to have someone taste my food. I need a <laughs> taster that makes sure that they're safe, but uh, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, that, uh, gosh, the one that you sent me, uh, the apocalypse stone was amazing. So yeah, that one is shockingly well-written, isn't it? For how smutty it is. It's really well-written. <laughs> Uh, it feels like it could have really happened in the Buffy universe. I was shocked how my brain was transported and allowed that to happen. Yeah, that is not true <laughs> of the other one I sent you. No. Did, no, you, did read, you did you read Parallel Lines yet? No, I need to watch that in a season two before I read that one. But yeah. No, you don't. Oh, don't? Okay, then I will read no, it. No, I, I redacted uh, things in there that are unsafe. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, read the Google Doc version I sent you. Don't Don't follow the link. Okay, cool. All right. Well, thanks so much, and we'll catch you next time.